Well, hello and welcome to episode nine of Ask Pastor Jeff Anything. Well, hello and welcome to Ask Pastor Jeff Anything, uh, episode number eight, I think it is. The podcast that assumes, uh, well, at least it seems to assume I have answers, but the truth is we're talking about questions that don't really have clear-cut answers, and that's that's part of the point. You know, there's a place, there's a time and a place for faith to be, There, there in many ways faith is simple, but in many ways faith is not. There's how the way to say it. And, and as we grow in our faith, that's when we discover the parts that are not, and that's kind of what we're, what, what we're about here. Uh, I'm Jeff Slater, the uh, lead pastor at Trinity United Methodist in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I am here with Jody Renee Giron. Good morning. We're on number nine. We're on number nine? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, maybe we'll do one of those things where we overdub my intro and say episode number nine. But then you started talking and I was thinking how every time you do your intro, it gets me thinking about other things <laughs> about faith instead maybe, of the question that's in front of us. And maybe maybe we're all like just in tune to tune out the intros to podcasts. Everybody skips the first 30 seconds anyway. I'm listening to what you're if saying. They, if they listen just, on an app. It takes me down a different funny trail okay. than our question. Well, I'll just say uh, um, uh, it's been a while since we've thanked Michael Tolley and our band here for recording the intro music, so thank you for that, mm-hmm. and to uh, Greg Simon for doing the editing. We very much appreciate that, too. And we, we, give, him, we give him plenty to work with. Yes, we <laughs> do. Um, sometime before this conversation is over you, I promise you I'll have to cough and he'll fix it, so yes. that's great. All right, well, today we have a pair of questions that are a real pair of questions. And the second one, I think, is especially going to capture your attention, maybe. I also don't think it's the real important of the two. Share it with us. Okay, so the first question is, does prayer work? And that's exactly how it was framed, and I love the layers and the depth in that one. Oh, I do. There's a lot in those three Does prayer work? Absolutely. And then uh, what we realized, speaking of falling down bunny holes, is that our second question, which sort of came from an unexpected source, was... What was the role, if any, of hallucinogenics in the early church practice of prayer and visions? That came out of a conversation around the church office, which <laughs> you can you can read whatever you want into that. It means you guys need to come hang out in the church office. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but you know, you think about Ezekiel in the Old Testament. You think about the book of Revelation yep. or Daniel, for yep. that matter. Yep. Um, uh, you also hear about uh, church mystics like Julian of Norwich that had visions and... Uh, there's more to it than that. Uh, I will say, though, that I think it has uh, is part of the answer, surprisingly, and I'm going to leave you hanging here for now. I think that's part of the answer to the question, does prayer work? <laughs> now, you Whoa, have to listen, really? now you have to listen to the end. Well, really, it's part of the question of what is prayer. Okay, I'm, which, I'm, I'm really curious to hear where you... It. You haven't unpacked that part for me yet. Oh, I thought I had. No. All right. Well, let's start with the part that's truly substantive, though, and the part that we're really here to talk about, does prayer work? And um, Jody Renee and I, uh, if you haven't listened to other episodes, we have very different backgrounds. I grew up mainline um, United Methodist. Uh, my family was in music ministry, and we went to a couple of other denominations. But by and large, I mean, United Methodist was, was always my home tradition, as I would say now. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much for you. You, uh, you grew up uh, evangelical and to an extreme at that. Yes. So what was prayer for you growing up? 
for a very long time, not even just growing up. I would say until my early adult years, prayer was very much me approaching God. And it was very formal, I think, mm. now that I'm kind of thinking about it. Yeah. Not in a liturgical way, because we all know how much I would, you know, drink liturgy if they bottled it. But, um, but... That's the second half of the... No, 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 never Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, but it was a, um, a very structured way of me talking to God. It was very one-sided conversation. Um, and it was very focused on either... I'm sorry I did this thing, or please make this thing better, or please help with this, or whether it was for me or for a friend or a situation, or and it's not that those those things are all bad, but that's just the oh, very sure, sure, simplistic sure. way that I thought of prayer. Right, and you were saying earlier that there was also an element of sorry to it, of forgiveness. Yeah, it was um, self. I think that was the only space I had, even maybe for self-evaluation. Ooh, Um, yeah. So in that sense, I'm grateful for the language, some of the language, that Fundy Prayer gave me. Though, you know, it was a little more shame than remorse in the balance Uh, of things. But it was very much a, um, gee, God, I'm so sorry that I... And of course... Prayers for forgiveness should be remorse, not shame. Right. Um, right. Just to be clear for anybody listening. Absolutely. Um, but that was, it was very one-sided, and the minute amen, it was like, when amen, hang up the phone, go about my business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for me, surprisingly, given our different backgrounds, I think it was pretty similar. Uh, I will say, I'd never thought about it until you said it. But there wasn't a lot of forgiveness in prayer when I was a kid. You know, United Methodist Sunday School type environment. I had some wonderful Sunday School teachers, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. including my grandma. There's another one. She was one for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing so much. But it's interesting that forgiveness wasn't part of it, you know. And, and without, uh, without, like, betraying and uh, kicking my own children under the bus, <laughs> there, there are times when maybe kids... Mm-hmm. Uh, could use a prayer of forgiveness here and there. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, can't we and all? You mean uh, you mean confession? Confession, confession, that, right? confession, okay. and forgiveness. Yeah, I'm I'm staying on the positive side of it. But yeah, that's part <laughs> of it. It's the confession aspect. Uh, but the um, take uh, bringing to God my needs and desires, uh, the please aspect of it. The big words would be supplication or intercession, which I'm sure mm-hmm. the two of us will use before this is over. Intercession is the uh, the historical word for, for asking things of God. That was a big part of it for me. So here's my follow-up question. When you took to God your needs when you were young, mm-hmm. or now for that matter, mm-hmm. did it work? I mean, isn't that our question today? It did is. it work? And you got me thinking about that earlier. That Because in my um, overly thought-through way, I know rationally that prayer is powerful... But if you ask me to name, my old habits will still kick in and make me answer that according, or, or evaluate it based on, did the things I prayed for happen? In which case, does that mean prayer worked? Or if it didn't happen, did that mean prayer? I yeah. So, like, what's the old joke? If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. So if you pray about your plans... What is an answer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes an answer is God giving us what we need instead of what we want. But right. is that even, is that even necessarily an how it works? Right. See how this is a messy question? Well, it is. And even what do we, you know, so you we were talking about what is prayer. And we 
we, I don't know, seem to be working with the assumptions that we were given as kids. But what is prayer? Yeah. Because how do you know if it works if you don't even know if what we're... Okay, so my mind is going into, like, structure mode. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about a very different kind of prayer, and then let's come back to this. All right. And I have a scripture when we come back, too, because apparently I'm prepared today. Uh, Peter. (laughs) So uh, a big part of when I learned to pray was after I had had a very difficult uh, experience in my life that challenged me in many, many ways. Uh, And I'm not going to go into that. Let's just say I was in a wounded place at that point in my life. And I discovered a retreat center that's in Great Bend, Kansas. I highly recommend it and cannot wait until it is safe to go back there. Uh, It's a a mother house uh, of Catholic nuns. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, as such, it's essentially a retirement home for most of what it is, which means retreatants, is that the right word, Um, cannot go right now for risk of infecting all of the very old nuns who live there, which breaks my heart because I'd love to see them all. (laughs) Uh, But uh, going to that retreat center, uh, learning about spiritual direction, doing a program that they had taught me about spirituality. uh, And uh, it seems a little dramatic, but it was it was those nuns who 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 nursed me back to health after my wounding experience in life. Feels like I'm in like a medieval movie and no stumble kidding. upon. Yeah, but hey, there it is, an emotional wounding in this case. But during that time, I felt drawn to silence. Mm. And I now realize that it was a secret garden kind of moment. I mean, God, God showed me something that I've been after in my life. I've mm. been seeking in my life ever since that deep experience of silence. Um, I felt drawn to it, and I, I, I'd never prayed in silence before. Like, I was intellectually aware that silent prayer was a thing, sure. but I'd never really done it. Yep. And one time, I was sitting in the sanctuary of my church. I love empty sanctuaries. Uh, and I just said, uh, I just decided to sit. And it was profound, the level of presence that I felt. That's presence with a capital P yep. that I felt in that moment. And I, I don't know, for about six months or a year, that's what prayer was like for me. And I'm just going to be a little vulnerable here and say I've been chasing after that ever since. Mm. Now, prayer isn't something you chase after to a to a, 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 to a, a spiritually mature person. Me saying chase after it speaks volumes. It also speaks the perhaps why I haven't gotten back to it yet. I don't know. The leftover evangelical in me loves the idea of you chasing the presence of God. That's kind Oh, of, well, that's pretty good, too. That's pretty... But in many pretty, ways, that type of experience is a gift. It's not something... Uh, so winning, I, I don't know. Winning we're, we're, okay. of the appetite. We're, we're kind of getting into the spiritual depths here. Right? Okay, now that's interesting, because here's how mine changed. Oh, was, yeah. So I was horribly wounded by the church as well. Isn't it interesting, the woundings, how we... yeah. My I'm not saying yours was from the church necessarily. It, 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 it was. Oh. Um, um, that a little more complicated, but it was. It yeah. was definitely connected to the church. Yeah. If I if it had happened earlier in my life, I might have blamed it on the whole church. Oh, I get that. <laughs> but I was I was fortunately mature enough that I was able to partition off the woundedness it was coming from rather than blaming quote the, the church. church. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, mine um, was I was a young adult. And it was a specific church, but it also uncovered the woundings that I'd experienced in the spiritual tradition I was in growing up. And I was so overtaken by it that I um, left Christianity, right. formal Christianity, and was going to go be a um, Hindu. 
I really kind of want to should be... You should see the look on her face it's as she says that, by the way. It's not, nothing against Hinduism. Just looking back, I can tell you, you see the, the I don't know, you see your journey differently. I do. Well, and I... You were searching in a different way. I was always chasing presence, too, I think. And I couldn't leave spirituality, but I couldn't be with God the patriarchal, scary, shaming God that I'd always known. So, And honestly, there are a lot of good and deeply spiritual Hindus, so why not? Absolutely. In fact, yeah. I met one. And so what had happened was I was deep into my journey. And, you know, I'd grown up thinking that um, silence and meditation was... I was literally told it was an invitation for the devil to enter. Like, I was... Oh, my It goodness. was demonic. Literally told. Literally yeah. told that that opened the door for demon possession. Right on. Good times. But I started trying to understand the Hindu culture and practice. And, you know, there is a really profoundly um, whole person experience in Eastern tradition that appealed to me. And um, honoring the body, honoring creation, all of these different things. And it was in this time with the monk that I was working with. I'd been working with him for 18 months. Hindu monk. Hindu monk. That he um, turned to me and said, friend... You love Jesus, and Jesus loves you, and that's okay. And I don't know what prompted him to say that, but clearly God speaks to everybody in their own way. And so what he taught me to that's do... That's what was in your smile a few minutes ago. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. God chased me down. I have always thought I was chasing God, but it was... And actually, the church chased me down, but that's a whole other story. But um, what he had me do for a, a period of six months, he gave me a structure. I also grew up suspicious of structure and liturgy, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Um he had me pray the Lord's Prayer, but mother instead of father, followed by a time of very specific a silence. Hindu, a Hindu monk had you pray the Lord's Prayer. Yep. That is awesome. But mother, so... Yeah, mother who mother, yeah. yeah. Because I needed the reframing, but then followed... It, it was a very important part of the, the structure he gave me was followed by um, 10 minutes of meditation and silence. So just to just to unpack that a little, I'm going to kind of reflect and maybe try to fill in a... You tell me if I'm wrong here. But you were coming from a, a place of being wounded by the church, by Christianity, however you want to say that. And so using one of the tools of Jesus... God, God has no gender. Right. Uh, so Father isn't incorrect, but it is incomplete. Yes. So what he did was give you one of the tools of Jesus but had you use it in a very different way that helped break you out of the structure you were given as a child a little bit? Yes. But that was still connected to Jesus? Would that be a way of describing it? Yes, and it gave me a new doorway into those words. Because if you pray the Lord's Prayer in the framework... Much more poetically said. Yeah. <laughs> if you pray the Lord's Prayer in the framework of a, a God who only... Yeah, who doles out yeses and noes instead of a God who is with you in the moment, when you pray the words, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I was going to say, that's an intercession, isn't it? It is. But it's also a use me prayer instead of a um, make it be so prayer. Yeah, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is somewhat different than please heal my sick friend yeah and again i'm not necessarily knocking that i'm going to come back to that in a minute yeah but what jesus teaches us in the lord's prayer is subtly but significantly different than that yes and so to pray that way and to enter into the words that way and then to sit in silence to meditate to 
as as Brother Lawrence, you know, to use his words and yours words, to practice the presence of God yeah. that we yeah. made space for with that prayer, it's interesting how you do start to hear, quote-unquote, for lack of a better word, but how that changed my concept of prayer because, one, it made it more of a dialogue, and, two, it made it more of a, God, what are you doing, instead of, God, will you do this thing for me? Yeah, and I want to say again, just in case anybody was missed it or is interested in more brother lawrence practicing the presence of god is an yeah. excellent place to look and i'm pretty sure that one's free online i'm sure you can so. order a paper copy if and you it's want. a little short yeah that's a good place to go and, and and just while we're here i will also say thomas keating oh, yeah. is another very very good uh, source he has a practice called centering prayer that is essentially learning to pray in silence and i can listen to thomas keating talk about silence <laughs> <laughs> until I'm blue in the face. Mm-hmm. I went through a little period where I just looked up video and audio books that he had done that's and all. Great. So yeah, that, yeah, that's surprisingly similar. Yeah, different but similar. And I will say, I, I may have told this in a in, in one of these other podcast episodes somewhere. I said this, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm careful how I say this because it it needs a, a little bit of unpacking. But. A lot of what I learned about silent prayer, I hadn't discovered Thomas Keating yet. Nobody told me that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I discovered a, a, a Buddhist meditation podcast. Hmm. And I was curious. And when you get into Buddhist theology, now, um, I, I'm not knocking Buddhism here, but the theology is very strange to Western ears when you get very yeah. deep. And that's closely related to Hindu, too. They're, mm-hmm. they're cousins uh, in their origin. What I realized is that the Buddhists are better at teaching the mechanics of silent prayer. Now, that right there, by the way, sounds a little funny if you've never tried it. Mm-hmm. You'd think sitting in silence is simple enough, but oh, good gravy. no, mm-hmm. no. You could teach classes. You could do private lessons the rest of your life on how to sit in silence. You really could. Mm-hmm. And the Buddhists are better at teaching that. So it was ironically, yeah, not ironically, but would seem ironic to me at the time that it was Buddhists who taught me Christian prayer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we forget that Christianity is an Eastern religion. Yep. And and, uh, and by the way, silence, uh, for anybody who might be suspicious out there or anything like that, mm-hmm. we should say that silence has been part of Christianity from the, from the beginning. Oh, absolutely. Desert, fathers, desert fathers and mothers. Jesus would oftentimes go off on his own, and we don't know exactly how he prays, but I don't know. My gut tells me it was probably in silence yeah. much of the time. In the wilderness for 40 days. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a form of silent prayer right there. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so let's bring it back around. So to me, and I think to, to many, if not most, if not all, who advance in the spiritual journey, I'm, I consider myself in the middle of it, by the way, mm-hmm. Prayer becomes more than just asking God for things, which is where it begins for most of us, I think. Yeah. But it becomes about more than that. So here's one of the things that challenges me. Jesus, Gospel of Luke, Sermon on the Plain. So that's uh, Jesus' teaching that usually we talk about the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew. Probably it's just what he taught uh, as he went from place to place. He shares the Lord's Prayer. And then, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he says a parable about prayer. He says, uh, this is Luke eleven five. He also said to them, imagine that one of you has a friend, and that you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, friend, loan me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. 
Imagine further that he answers from within the house like any of us would. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up to give you anything. I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is open. Now, you know, maybe that's a spiritual progression right there. No kidding. You know, maybe, maybe in the middle of the spiritual journey, we're in the seeking and finding stage. Um, and, and there's also a stage where, where there's the knocking and the opening of the door. But isn't it interesting that the first of those is ask and you will receive, hmm. and that Jesus' parable on prayer is to knock on the door of your neighbor, and even if your neighbor says, no, I'm in bed, stop <laughs> bothering me, your neighbor will get up and help you just because you keep asking. That's Jesus' parable on prayer. Wow. So does prayer work? Answer it for us. Jody yeah, Rebe. right? Wait, no. <laughs> the, <laughs> ask Pastor Jeff, and he... Well, you know what's fascinating? <laughs> no, it's, we're going to rename it to Ask Jody Renee Anything. Oh, good gravy. Can you even imagine the questions that would come in? Um, the thing that gets me, though, still... Maybe, maybe I'm overthinking this, but does what we pray for matter? Or is it the, ma- is it the manner in which we pray that Ooh. matters? Like, is it that his friend was bold, or was it that his friend was asking for something... Reasonable. Yeah. And good. And good. You know, there's another... I didn't look this one up, and I can never remember where stuff is. Like, I remember so much of the Bible, but I can't tell you where stuff is. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Jesus also says that um, if, you're, if your child asked you for a... Oh, yeah. Um, um, bread? Do you bread, give him a snake? Give him a snake. I can't remember the exact thing. <laughs> Me neither. Or was it like a... Scorpion or something, something? I think off. there's some question in the translation, but it's something right. venomous and nasty. Right. So if your child asked you for something good, would you give them something that stings and poisonous? No, of course right. not. Uh, and uh, like all great wisdom, oftentimes you have to take two contradictory statements yeah. or two contradictory stories and hold them next to each other. So maybe the thing with that parable uh-huh. is that you really need to hear it with that on the other side. Yes. You know, if he had knocked on the door of his neighbor and said, give me a, I've just, the, I've just had a visitor come and I don't like him very much. Yeah. So give me a poisonous snake. Right. <laughs> you know, then, then maybe, then maybe the person would say, really, I'm going back to sleep. Right. I don't know. That's it, part of it. Okay. So part of why I'm thinking about that is. I'm still laughing at where this has gone. Keep going. I know. Well. We haven't even gotten to hallucinogenics The, the interesting yet. stuff. Anyway. Okay, well, this might be a good doorway for that. Ooh. Okay, and part of it is because I think about that simply because the tradition that I grew up in is still alive and well, unfortunately. Um, because you know what? I love the church, capital C Church, Apostolic Universal Church. Not just a local congregation. Exactly. Though I really church. do love my local congregation. Um, but I also realize that, like any family, it's possible for us to have dysfunctional and possibly even dangerous family members. And mm-hmm. there are whole divisions of the church that are that are destructive and dangerous. And I'm not even going to say that all of them are well-intended. I think some of them are not. And But in the way I grew up, you prayed openly to against, you know, the powers and principalities, demons, whole other topic. 
but sometimes that would mean praying against people, praying against oh. politicians, praying against. Don't let so and so succeed in this bad exactly. this thing they're doing that I think is bad. Exactly, and um, you know, God bless him, Pat Robertson, uh, the Seven Hundred Club. A beloved child of God. A beloved child se- of God. That would seem to be misled. Yeah. Well, and his grandson, actually, Brandon Robertson. You guys should check him out. He's a young, know. emergent guy. Cool young man. Um, great advocate for a progressive faith. But Pat prays against uh, people because they're Democrats. He prays against people because they're gay. He pray- So... If God did everything... I don't want to single out Pat Robertson because he is a beloved child of God. He is. I'm using him yeah. as a spearhead for a right. And, and like I said, I don't. I don't want to. I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to kick someone while they're down. Here. Right. But if somebody prays for the wrong things, which includes me sometimes, or malevolent things, even malevolent in the things, name of God, uh, God shouldn't answer those. Right. Prayers. So, what's fascinating though, and there's a ton of people that get behind those movements and pray. I mean, we're talking mobilized millions sometimes. So, in 1976, very good year, by the way, vintage year, if anyone's wondering what's coming up in July of, 19, of this year. Not as good as 1977. Okay, well, but, quibbles. Okay. Um, <laughs> there was a, a study done, an actual research study. Ooh, you have your own fun research study coming up. But there was a research study done on... Um, not prayer necessarily, specific Christian prayer, though there's, those have been done, but this one's fascinating to me because there was a control group, and it's called the Maharashi Effect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've mentioned this to you before. Yeah. Um, and what they did was they, they, fa- they measured out a certain square area of mileage and had people who were practiced in transcendental meditation and focused meditation. A form of prayer. A form of prayer. Pray for the, or meditate on the notion of a, um, a more kind and generous collective consciousness, right? So that was the focus of their prayer. Not overly specific. and Not save this one person from dying. Exactly. Um, and something that definitely would benefit everybody. So they had these people do it, and I wish I could remember the amount of time they did it now, but the number that stuck with me is that in the period of time they did it, which wasn't excessively long, there was a 16% drop in crime in that time. Wow. In an area that was You told me this once before, and it still made me say wow. Right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily specific. So, here's what I love about it, is that what came out of it... Peace. Yes. Oh, sorry. No, but but you're... No, you're absolutely right. Okay, well, two things that I think happened. One, I do think that something happens on a spiritual level, on a quantum level, on whatever happened, you know, whatever words you want to use, when we align our focus and our intent on what is good together, when we kind of use our collective energy and our focus and bring to God um, something good. I do think something happens on a quantum level. I think the other thing is that we are changed to focus on those things that we are asking God to do. And Say that again. Say it again. We are changed by what we pray for to... There you go. Yeah. There you go. And so suddenly these transcendental meditationists and centering prayer people were, were constantly thinking about and, you know, for lack of a better word, manifesting their own prayer of a good and elevated consciousness, peace, thy will be done on earth kind of stuff. 
and I think the quantum energy in them. For I'm using woo-woo words, but that's... <laughs> yeah. I think it's a both and. I think prayer works when we, when we seek to be God's will. That's awesome. What, is it, was it Rumi who said the um, um, Muslim mystic, right? Rumi? Um, no, right? Turkish. Yeah, he Turkish? was Sufi. Sufi, Sufi. He, uh, um, I, think, I think it was him who said, when I was young, I tried to change the world. Mm. When I was old, I tried to change myself. myself. Go watch. Okay. I think they just made a documentary about the Maharashi effect, by the way. I, yeah, I'm curious because I had not encountered that before. Okay, so let's let's tackle this second half here because we're almost out of time. And I, it seems odd to put the hallucinogenic thing on the end of the prayer one. But to me, they're connected, and I also really wanted to tackle that question but knew I couldn't talk for half an hour about it alone. Right. <laughs> so that's why we tagged it on the end. So uh, hallucinogenics is something... Okay, you all should know that I am the biggest prude ever. Uh, I have never... Uh, never experimented, as they say. Are you experienced, Jeff? I, I am not experienced <laughs> in Hendrick's any way, reference. and I'm actually i lo- i uh, i love I love my mind, and the the thought of yeah. anything that would mess with my mind would freak me out. Uh, Says the man who enjoys his Jack Daniels and coffee, caffeine. But True that, story. But that like makes it work more. The caffeine does anyway. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. And I wish so, people could hear my eyes roll on the podcast. <laughs> so I actually, I actually have not had, nor have I sought out opportunity to try even. Oh, you have never tried. I, yeah, I've never, I've never tried anything, not even as comparatively safe or simple as marijuana. Have you ever smoked a cigarette? I've never smoked a cigarette. Ever I, smoked a cigar? I did try a cigar once, and I didn't see the appeal. Maybe because it was the first one, and I didn't finish it. Fair. So like saying I didn't inhale. Actually, you don't inhale with a cigar. No, okay, we can edit that part out, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just want to say, I am not speaking from a place of experience, but the person in me who loves understanding and spirituality is curious about this, and I'm going to reveal another side of myself that the people around here really haven't seen yet. Jody Renee's seen it a little bit. You know I love music. Uh, I have come to love electronic music recently. And kind of my gate, gateway electronic music. Oh man, am I Your mixing drug? the whatever Your gateway now? Drug? My, yeah, my gateway drug was trance. Now already you can see where I'm going just from the name of the genre of trance. Mm-hmm. But it has a lot of repeated patterns, and it's about lifting the spirit. And it's about uh, it, it. Trance music is about, mm, at least for many, it's about achieving a different level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does so in a way that's very similar to silent prayer. You get lost. In silent prayer, oftentimes you pay attention to your breathing. Mm-hmm. In trance music, uh, it, at least for me, now I'm nerdier than most, but for me yeah. anyway, and for the for the serious ones, it's oftentimes about getting lost in the repeating patterns that are in it. So mm-hmm. but you see the similarity? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me. In fact, I even heard a story once of a Buddhist monk who was taken to a trance club, and the Buddhist monk looked around and said, they're meditating <laughs> like he recognized it and I think it's interesting that uh, the electronic music scene has a reputation for having uh, a use of uh, ecstasy uh-huh. and it's almost entirely in the genre of trance oh I hadn't thought about that before. yeah it is because there's something about the genre that's attempting to achieve a higher level of consciousness now I'm the one using woo-woo phrases yeah uh, and there's something about ecstasy that does that too that seems 
that seems to break down the barriers that keep us from achieving mm-hmm. higher levels of consciousness. Uh-huh. Now, I also know, and I, uh, I hope I'm not wrong about this, I didn't do my proper research and fact-checking here, says the, 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 the doctor over here who likes his footnotes. I mean, we're both nerds, but you're the mega-nerd among us. Okay, now that, that is up to debate, <laughs> because I've talked to you. But there's, uh, I have heard that there are parts, I believe it's Tibetan Buddhism in particular, that once a year, a certain category of monk that's achieved a certain level uses a hallucinogenic as part of their meditation practice hmm. in a very limited and controlled way and only once a year really? uh, as a way to further that practice. Uh, now, I talked about to my spiritual director uh, with this a while back. Well, he's been on the podcast yeah. still. And uh, what he said um, gave me some helpful language that his, his understanding is that, yes, those types of drugs do break down those barriers, but they do it in an artificial way. So it's like, it's like the Diet Coke of meditation. No, 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 I don't like how that metaphor works. Um, you know, like aspartame oh. <laughs> is where I was going with that, but I don't like that. That doesn't, that doesn't fit quite right. It breaks, it, 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 whatever barriers we put up to that which is beyond us, that breaks them down in an artificial way which, while not wrong, right. is also not right and not the way it's supposed to be and not complete and whole. So, but you also mean by that, while not immoral, not just... I am, I am trying... There's a big part of me that wants to make a moral ruling here because I kind of would tend to think that it's better to do it the, the, the nice, the, the good organic way rather than the artificial drug-induced way. But I'm trying to avoid imposing morality on this. I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to look at the phenomenon. Sure. Uh, and I will also say, while I'm saying all my stuff here, uh, I, I got my doctorate at Boston University and while I was there I came across I can't remember what it was called. It's on you can probably Google it and find it on Wikipedia. It's like the may even be the Boston University experiment or something like that. I love it because it does sound like a case study. It, it was. It I know. was. And it was with a control group and everything. Uh-huh. Um, and there's uh, there's got to be power dynamics at play here too because Harvard across the river from BU came over and did an experiment in the BU Chapel, Marsh Chapel, hmm. where half of the people who were there were given hallucinogenics and half weren't. And they all prayed, and then they studied how the prayer went for the control group and those who had it and all hmm. of that. Uh, and uh, the ethical questions just just, just flow like crazy from that. However, it's again to show you that there is a connection between hallucinogenics mm-hmm. and spirituality. Well, in every okay, data I can't believe I'm the that. one doing all the talking here. You say something. I'm about loving it. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm fascinated by it, even though I'm terrified to go deeper. I will say, I do think there is a difference, though, between organic. Please do not anyone hear this as me saying like I'm a connoisseur of. <laughs> um, but I do think I, my brain was sort of swirling around your artificial, the artificiality of some things, and also the manufactured notion. There are incredibly organic peyote, um, mushrooms. Oh, it's not drug and it's a natural hallucinogenic. Yeah, there are yeah. organic hallucinogenics that um, have been part of spiritual traditions. Oh, it's getting giddy over here. I, I did the thing where I had an idea and it showed on my face. And it doesn't even show on your face. You like dance like a five-year-old boy I, at a candy uh, shop. Okay, say your thing. Because right. it's good. It's important. Um, 
shamanic. So I come out of a tradition that we have shamanic. Um, Corinderas are are an interesting merging of like Catholic faith and um, herbalism, shamanic herbalism, and so in the Native Americans with peyote and all kinds. So there's. Oh yeah, Native Americans and peyote would yeah. be another uh, fine example. And yeah. it's well, and you just talked about caffeine. I mean, there's it's it's interesting to me that we normalize the way. Um, some organic substances affect our bodies while we vilify, that's a strong word, other things. However... Early in the podcast, you were halfway through your coffee. How's it going over there now? I'm feeling, I'm now my okay. brain's working better, see? Which makes you wonder, though, if our uh, American puritanical white ideologies have formed the way we think about these things, because maybe it's artificial in the sense that it's not something we can recreate, but you talked about chasing that presence, that one experience you had in the chapel. Mm. What if, I'm so going to get in trouble for saying this because it's going to oh, sound like I I'm advocating. Going. I know where you're going. What if somebody has an experience on a hallucinogenic, like maybe the question was that the early church people did with the visions, and that's what, what they see beyond what they can see, maybe in an artificial way, and it whets their appetite for a continued search for... God uses it. Yeah. Well, it's nothing is ever beyond God using it. Right. That's, that's a really, really good point. But it does make <clears throat> us uninhibited. I do think it quiets the monkey mind, to use a Buddhist term, um, that chattering voice of reason and anxiety. Not that I'm speaking from experience either, people. Remember, I grew up evangelical. <laughs> but, and I do think, too, there is a difference between those... Um, substances that people use looking for a elevated consciousness and um, those hardened manufactured drugs that oh most certainly you know. that's yeah and you get into addiction that that's a yeah. completely different thing than what we're talking about Absolutely. here there there I'm I'm more willing to make a moral judgment yeah me too so maybe I'm going to play with a metaphor. This is me thinking out loud, which is always risky, but I think it's a good metaphor. This I'm going to sit back I, and enjoy this This one. is what I was all excited about. Okay. So there is a tension, in a musical tension, that I've lived with all my life and never quite known where to fall on. When I was a kid, ooh, this is coming full circle. When I was a kid, different denominations, for a while we went to a non-denominational church, and there was some criticism that the music was emotionally manipulative. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> Go on. So, you know, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. And, and for the musicians out there, I could make jokes about how it modulated up a half step and the... The, the swells. The gyrations that. that it went through in the process of modulating up a half step and how some people in the church would go, oh, <laughs> when, it mo when, the, when the music modulated. But... So it was it, it was emotionally manipulative music, and uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, current Christian music to listen to. There's some with really bad theology that Good I just gracious. can't take. Yes. But um, like uh, Hillsong, there's a kind of the thing now is to do like these eight or ten minute worship songs. The, the Which is start, a meditation. Is a, yes, and but they start they start low and then swell to these huge highs. That's trance, isn't it? Yeah, it's the trance of the Christian music. World. It is. Wasn't that interesting? Anyway, usually it's with fog machines and flashing lights and all this sort of thing, and it's emotionally manipulative. The same argument as when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But I was just telling you, Jody Renee, mm -hmm. 
that there is a performance of one of my favorite songs, it's Oceans by Hillsong, mm-hmm. a performance that I stumbled upon that was literally backstage at a conference when they had just written it, and it's not the whole band. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not all done up, fancy lights and fog. They're literally sitting on stools and like I can't think of the singer's name. She turns to the guitar player and is like, "Okay, are we do like are we what key? You know, it's not probably not what key, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's not prepared, and it's." Is there still a, 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 a quality about it that is manipulating my emotions? Well, all music does. I mean, that's what music is. It's an emotional language. Right, it's an emotional language, but there was something honest about it, Yes. too, in which I have a, 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 a worship experience that is more so than when the fog machines and the lights are going. So... Maybe I'm. I just called every evangelical church with fog machines and lights the equivalent of hallucinogenics, didn't I? That's where I'm going with this. And you don't hear me protesting. Right <laughs> I'm saying that 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 God can certainly use the artificial, but that there's something refreshing and something true, mm-hmm. something honest, and something holy about when the same thing happens in a way that's more present more present and more natural and more honest well intended because it's all well intentioned well Mostly. most of it, most <laughs> of it. Uh, yeah so to me do you see now why I thought the hallucinogenics would be an interesting add on to prayer because I think the real question about does prayer work is what is prayer and what does it mean for it to work yeah and I think in the end prayer is about getting to getting out of our own consciousness and moving closer to God's consciousness, mm-hmm. whether it be through requests or through forgiveness and, and confession or whether it be through silence. Mm-hmm. Was it Meister Eckhart that said, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough? Or something about awareness, the awareness of God. I can't think of a better way to wrap up. Mm. So, thank all of you. Thank you, Jody Renee. It's fun. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Nations are perplexed and worried. Discursion and much trouble. Words are upside down. People are running around. The United States needs pride. Everywhere. Everywhere. Every plan that man have made, it's